Tēnā my name is Will Appleby, and this is Animal Matters. On today's show, we chat with SAFE's Eat Kind team about plant-based diets and how easy it is to choose kindness when you cook your next meal. The son of a national MP is sentenced for willful ill-treatment of animals under the Animal Welfare Act, but no justice is served for the animals who suffered. And drownings of animals are on the increase, and a lot of it has to do with our attitudes towards animals considered pests. Animal Matters is brought to you by Safe for Animals, New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation. We're here to open up for discussion the key issues facing animals. We'll go beyond the news cycle and dive into some of the complexities that surround the exploitation of animals. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron by heading to patreon.com forward slash animal matters. Pledges start at five New Zealand dollars a month. Patrons can unlock bonus content and get early access to new episodes before they're released. Your support will help us to expand the show and talk about more topics in greater depth. Recently, news broke of the sentencing of sheer milker Tony Kerriger, the son of National MP Barbara Kerriger, who was convicted of willful ill-treatment of cows under the Animal Welfare Act. 74 cows needed veterinary treatment, and 22 had to be euthanised after Tony Kerriger failed to properly treat their lameness on a farm at Hukunui in the northern Wairapa. Kerriger was given instructions by veterinarians on how to care for the animals after their injuries were first discovered and treated. Some cows required amputations, but Kerriger did not remove their bandages when he should have done, with one animal suffering severe maggot infection as a result. The week before last, he was ordered to pay veterinary and report costs of $4,060, and Oxbound Dairies Limited, which is owned by the Kerriger family, was fined $30,000. The maximum penalty for willful ill-treatment of animals is a jail term of five years or a fine of $100,000 for individuals or a fine of $500,000 for a company. Judges also have the power to disqualify those convicted of ill-treatment or neglect from owning or caring for animals in the future. No banning order was made in respect of Kerriger, so he is free to continue farming. This sentencing is a slap on the wrist and yet another in a long line of examples where animals fail to get the justice they deserve. The Ministry for Primary Industries knew what was going on at this farm. It's the latest example of the Ministry's failure to protect animals. It's really about time the MPI was stripped of its animal welfare responsibilities, and SAFE has been demanding this for a long time. We've covered it on this podcast before, MPI have an inherent conflict of interest, as their priority is to promote the interests of the agriculture industry. What we need is an independent institution, with the welfare of animals at its heart, that can call out wrongdoing and ineptitude without interference from the industries who profit from animal farming. Until that happens, we are likely to continue to see farmers break the Animal Welfare Act and get a slap on the wrist before returning to their farms, free to handle animals without further recourse. Over the course of this podcast, we've spoken about the different ways that society exploits and oppresses animals. We raise and slaughter them for food. We experiment on them. We use them to make clothes and footwear. 
The systems of oppression are pretty complex, but the issue at hand is black and white. Don't eat animals, don't test on them, and don't wear them as shoes. Okay, I'm definitely simplifying this for the sake of my argument. But the point I want to make is these kinds of exploitation are a lot more straightforward than others. Listeners of this show who are based in New Zealand will know that we have a problem. A really big problem. And it's to do with conservation. Prior to European colonisation in the 1800s and the arrival of Tangata Whenua before that, Aotearoa was rich with native flora and fauna, undisturbed by the outside world. This meant that plant and bird life could flourish, and New Zealand is still to this day rich with biodiversity, unique to our country. However, colonialists brought with them many animals that have now also flourished in New Zealand, and not in a way that was intended. Rats, stoats, possums and many other mammalian predators were introduced to New Zealand and have become a real threat to the native flora and fauna. The native birds of New Zealand never had a natural predator to contend with, so they're especially at threat. There's a lot of history I'm skipping over here, but in short, this problem has led to the policy of predator control and the ambitious goal of making New Zealand predator-free by 2050. The Department of Conservation is tasked with this mammoth goal. Their responsibilities include preservation of historic sites on public conservation land, saving native threatened species, managing threats like pests and weeds, environmental restoration, caring for marine life, and assisting landowners to effectively preserve natural heritage. How do they manage pests? They kill them, either by trapping them, poisoning them, or by hunting them. They've also embarked on an ambitious public relations campaign to get New Zealanders behind this goal of achieving a predator-free Aotearoa. They've also embarked on an ambitious public relations campaign to get New Zealanders behind this goal of achieving a predator-free Aotearoa. There's an entire website dedicated to this campaign with information about how Kiwis themselves can help. They sell traps and bait stations online that people can set up at home and offer resources and tips on how to manage pests in their community. The campaign has been quite successful. Kiwis have an almost zealous appreciation for their native wildlife. They've been mobilised like an army of volunteer rangers to head out into their communities and perform their civil duty by killing animals considered pests. There's a lot to unpack here. One of the ways that we oppress animals is through the way that we value some animals more than others. We kill cows and pigs to eat, but not horses. We care for cats and dogs in our homes, but we kill the strays. We protect native birds, but trap and poison rats, stoats and possums. Animals that are considered pests. The predator-free PR campaign and our attitudes towards animals considered pests has resulted in some appalling examples of animal cruelty. People are far more likely to abuse an animal if that animal is considered a threat or enemy or to be eradicated. In episode 4, we spoke about the Facebook group that had emerged, dedicated to the killing of mice and rats and displaying their bodies for amusement. People would then post photos of their killings on this Facebook group. Since then, Safe was alerted to a video that was posted on social media. In the video, the filmer had trapped a rat inside a metal cage. They then filled up a wheelie bin with water. They then drowned the rat by dropping the metal cage into the water. 
The footage was graphic. I won't go into details, but as part of the video, a caption was used. The caption read, I vote for a predator-free New Zealand. The SPCA are investigating this case, and it turns out that drownings are on the increase as a method to kill animals. The following is from a TVNZ news item about this case. Many people would find this video disturbing, a step-by-step demonstration on drowning a rat. The man who filmed it says he believed he was helping with conservation. The reason I did it was because it's a pest. New Zealand is We won't show you more of this video, but it's one of several drowning cases the SPCA is now investigating, the others involving wild cats. A rat can take around two to three minutes to drown, and that's an incredibly distressing way to to kill an animal. Safe says that motivation to create a predator-free country has led to a troubling trend. Rather than killing pests in a humane way, people are increasingly torturing them in the process. Not only is drowning any animal inhumane, it's also illegal under the Animal Welfare Act and is punishable by fine or imprisonment. This Facebook page also popped up during lockdown and has clocked up 30,000 members. The page features dozens of videos of mice taunted to their deaths. Others, once killed, fed to the animals. That sadism and callousness towards animals that some people find amusing and I I think society needs to be concerned about that. Um, These are not signs of uh, compassionate people. To parade around the bodies of dead animals is quite disturbing. Predator-free New Zealand says traps are best practice for killing pests. Ali Pugh, One News. This increase in cruelty towards animals considered pests is pretty concerning and I think it wouldn't be as prevalent if it wasn't for our society's attitudes towards these animals. But moving away from individual examples, what about the tools used by the Department of Conservation? One of their primary methods to kill animals considered pests is by dropping a controversial poison called tenati. It's controversial for a number of different reasons, with varying degrees of validity. 1080 is a poison which is one of the most widely used in New Zealand and often causes animals to have muscle spasms and seizures for up to a day or more before death. People have been calling for the poison to be banned for years and there has been talk of research into possible alternatives for some time. I recently spoke to Minister of Conservation Eugenie Sage about 1080 and the status on research into more humane alternatives. I know 1080 is a controversial topic, but it it is worth acknowledging that it does have its criticism as a a method of predator control. Probably one of the the main concerns from from my perspective is whether it's humane and uh, and whether it it causes pain. What sort of research is is being implemented to find a, a viable alternative? So there's been a lot of work done so that the application rates of 1080 have changed uh, hugely since the 1970s and 80s. It's the equivalent of about a teaspoon of toxin a hectare, and it does break down. The concern, particularly with um, dogs and possums too, is that they die a humane death, dogs eating it accidentally. With dogs, it does um, cause quite a lot of distress. There is... um, 19.5 19.5 million from the predator from the provincial growth fund which has gone to predator free new zealand limited to look at other tools and uh, some of those are really promising there are things like sound lures uh, being experimented with the sound of um, rats in the nest which then attract other rats and then they can be um, trapped 
there's work on other toxins, which would then have to go through the whole process of getting uh, registered. Um, but work is underway, but at the moment, 1080 is our most effective uh, tool for that large-scale control. Had there been other other methods looked at, for example, fertility control has been has been suggested, gene drives, which I mean I won't get into the ethics around that, but there are other you know methods that have been proposed. Are they on the table? So there was millions of dollars that were uh, invested in trials at Lincoln University and elsewhere in immunocontraceptives for possums. A lot of work over many years and it didn't yield um, a successful result. Then with gene drives, that would require a major public uh, conversation about whether to change the legislation around GE in New Zealand. And just the history in New Zealand where stoats were introduced to control rabbits uh, has been a whole history of um, changing, introducing different species and then that having devastating consequences. So just the assessment that would be required before there was any uh, GE tool uh, would be significant. And we haven't had that public discussion to provide that mandate. That is under Minister Parker as Environment Minister. He signalled that that won't be happening in this term of government. Predator control and conservation is a huge problem for New Zealand. How do we protect native species from extinction while also protecting animals considered pests from ill treatment? The very act of predator control is a form of hierarchical control. Should we even place native species and animals considered pests on a hierarchy? Many would argue that to do so is oppressive. We love our native species, our birds and our plants. They are an important part of our national identity and biodiversity. This is truly an ethical dilemma if there ever was one. The reality is though, our current methods of pest control are not humane. And our current attitudes towards animals considered pests needs to change. Until we reconsider the way we treat animals considered pests... They will continue to suffer, both at the hands of the state and by people in our community. Last week was Meat Free Week, and unfortunately we didn't have a podcast episode last week, obviously, because it's fortnightly. So I decided to bring in two of my favorite people from the Ekind department at SAFE, and we're going to talk about all things plant-based and veganism. So I'm joined by Laura Gentle and Kylie Dale, who are part of the Ekind department, I suppose. Hi, thank you. Hi. That was a pretty average um, introduction. So um, if you don't mind, I'm going to, if you, you can each sort of describe what it is that you do at SAFE. Laura, we can start with you. Okay. So as Will said, I've just taken over Eat Kind from Kylie and uh, very big shoes to fill because uh, we already had an amazing uh, Eat Kind program in existence. And my job was to try and make it better, which was hard to do because it's already really, really awesome. Um, but I'm currently working on um, putting new website uh, recipes on the website section and um, updating our emails that go out to people who sign up for our plant-based challenge. And how about you, Kylie? And so um, we've got a bit of an exciting area happening in the eKind department right now, and that is to do with uh, creating digital re- learning resources for schools um, and particularly for food technology departments. So that's a really 
um, fund area, new area that we're working on. And that's what I've been doing lately. So these are our plant-based experts. So I'm really excited to get stuck into this. To kick things off, let's talk about the obvious ones. B12, iron, protein. No one really cares about them until we start talking about plant-based diets and then all of a sudden everyone's scared of losing them. So how much of a big deal is this and how can people make sure that they still get these things? Yeah, that's a really good point that you make that kind of all of a sudden, once you decide to take meat off of the plate, meat and dairy, um, all of a sudden you've that's when you start thinking about those things. But um, in all honesty, that's something that we should probably all think about no matter what we're eating those nutrients are really important and just like um yeah I guess when I first thought about going vegan um it happened to coincide with a time in my life where I was looking into ultra running and I guess um learning more about what how to feel, how to feel my body in a healthy way was when I also started seeing all of these vegan ultra runners who were doing it on a plant-based diet and so well, on well, one side of me was thinking, how am I going to get enough protein? How am I going to get enough iron without eating meat? Um, here are these other people doing it and thriving, running, you know, ultra long distances on multiple days, um, doing it on plants. So that kind of really opened my eyes up. And yeah, so um, in terms of getting protein, getting your iron, um, the, the most healthy sources are really plant-based sources, getting getting your whole grains, getting your leafy green vegetables, getting your nuts and seeds, um, legumes, all great sources of not only protein and iron, but all the other really important nutrients to help us stay healthy. How often do you guys get asked if you've ever had a blood test? I feel like I get that asked all the time. I've never had one. Well, I've had a blood test, but I've never gone to the doctor and been like, I've been vegan for, I can't remember how many years now, four years, five years? Um, I should get a blood test to make sure I've got all the things. Have you guys ever had one? Yes, I had one last year. Um, I've been vegan for nine years now. So technically, if I hadn't consumed any B12 or B12 supplements, potentially my B12 um, stores could be depleted by now. But in fact, they were absolutely fine. Uh, along with everything else, everything came back fine. Um, so I must be getting enough uh, Marmite or other sources of B12. It's getting in there somehow. The B12 was fine <laughs> after nine years. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great way, if, if you are concerned about it, getting your blood test done, that's a great way to confirm, you know, that you have all of the, the right levels of that. Um, another, I, I donate blood quite a bit, and that's how I always find out that I've got plenty of iron, you know, so that's quite a good way. <laughs> Sadly, I'm not allowed to donate blood because I apparently, if you if you ate meat in the 80s in the uk you might develop mad cow disease so ah of course that is a yeah, thing isn't not it allowed, yeah. just in case i start mooing yeah we'll keep we'll, we'll keep you in new zealand but um <laughs> we just don't want your blood <laughs> that's all fair enough <laughs> <laughs> i got a blood test not long ago and it wasn't for anything related to um, like I never asked for one. I just, the doctor was like, you should do a blood test. And I said, okay. And I thought, oh, maybe this will come back if I'm like deficient in anything. And they never got back to me. And I was kind of like, well, if something's wrong. I'm sure they would have told me. So we're all vegan, obviously. Um, 
surprise, everyone. It's obviously a big thing that Safe advocates for, and for a variety of reasons. The most important one, I'm, I can probably speak on behalf of you both, that the most important thing for us is is um, animal rights. But obviously there's benefits in terms of health and the environment as well. So it's something that we advocate for, and a lot of people, you know, when they think about, oh, should I go vegan? Should I be plant-based? They think about how difficult it could be. But it's actually quite easy. I mean, we've been doing this for a while now, so obviously it's easy for us to say this. But I would like to think it's it's easy for newbies, more so now than ever before. So what are some... The classic one is I could never replace meat on my diet. You know, I need to have meat on my diet. I don't know how or I don't want to replace it. But there's actually some really good substitutes out there. What are some substitutes that people could put in their food to remove meat? Um, If you're really missing the taste of meat or if you're cooking for a family who expect meat, there are some really meaty plant-based meats out there and they're getting better and better and the market's becoming more competitive. Um, So I would say to anybody, get out there and try the different brands that are available. Fries is a good one. It's in a a green um, packet in in the freezer section of the supermarket and they make sausages and um schnitzels and chicken like pieces and uh, everything that i've tried of theirs has been really good and really um really similar to meat uh another great one is sunfed chicken and that's a wonderful kiwi brand it's um texture wise um, and taste um it's a really good substitute for chicken and um it's it's uh, something that we all at safe we all have in our freezers at home don't we when I like, you know, when I can work it into my budget. Yeah. <laughs> we try to make it last. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is very good though. Um, I There's a couple of curry recipes. A lot of my recipes actually are like recipes I've had since before I was vegan and I've just adapted to them. And when Sunfed came out, my the first thing I did was make curry and made a chicken curry and it was absolutely delicious. Everything you put with... Chicken in, put some fed chicken in instead and um, it'll be just as good. It'll be better. And you're saving animals and doing your health a favour at the same time because it's all made from peas, pea protein. So speaking of recipes, what are some easy recipes that you know, newbies should try when they're kicking things off? Very, very easiest way to start being plant-based. Um, if you really don't know where to start, I always say to people, just make, veganize what you already make. Just swap out the meat for a plant-based meat. Um, if you're making a bolognese, you can use a plant-based mince or you can substitute the mince for lentils. Um, same with things like cottage pie. It's very, very easy to veganize. Anything you would make with chicken, you could use the sun-fed chicken or the fries chicken pieces. So just using the plant-based version and swapping it out, that's the very easiest way. Um, but we've got some really simple recipes on our website as well. If you If you have a little look, you'll find some really nice simple beginner easy plant-based recipes that anybody can do yes but it's a fun way to kind of learn a new way of cooking as well even though it's easy enough to switch out different substitutes it's also an opportunity to try lots of new things which is quite fun what sort of stuff do you cook kylie when you're um when you've got a big run coming up um yeah what sort of stuff do you would you normally prepare um heaps of really carby filling Hearty meals, lots of... You had me at carbs. <laughs> yeah, sold. <laughs> yeah, lots of kuma, lots of potatoes, quinoa, uh, curries, all, all the veggies, and yeah, lots of 
hearty smoothies start the day. Um, yeah, it's just a chance to eat more food. It's great. <laughs> more quantities. Um, so there's obviously, there's a bunch of stuff that people can use in their plant-based dishes that will add certain flavors or textures um, or add something that they may be missing from meat or dairy. Um, some of those pantry safe staples, so to speak. What are some, what are some of those things that you guys think people could make sure they've got in their pantry just to add a bit of extra flavor to those plants that they're cooking? I would say nutritional yeast is a, a must have. It turns everything cheesy. If you wanted to make a cheese sauce or make a mac and cheese, uh, or even sprinkle it over something like popcorn to make your popcorn taste cheesy. Um, it's like a magic ingredient that I think most vegans have in their pantries. And you can buy it at most, most supermarkets now, but certainly health food shops, you can find it. And it's got B12 um, fortified in it, so there's a bonus. I um, recently started ordering it online because we kept running out. And the last time we ran out was because we were using it on popcorn. <laughs> I haven't tried that. It sounds so good, though. It is delicious. So, mm-hmm. yeah, some some salt and some nutritional yeast. When I say mm-hmm. some, you know, you be generous with it. And <laughs> it is absolutely delicious. What about junk food? Laura, I can see that you're ready, you're ready and waiting for junk food. Um, myself as well. Actually, after the lockdown ended, what was, like, your first sort of takeaways, your first sort of junk food? What was, what was something that you guys sort of dove into once we were allowed to emerge from our homes? Oh, that's a good question. Burger fuel? I went for burgers as well. Um, it was a barefoot eatery burger. So they make their own, but yeah, I was definitely craving a plant-based burger. The first thing I got was a house pizza and with the, with the angel, angel food cheese, it was the mischief, which I've, it's got the, the corn vegan nuggets as well as this. I've also got this plant-based chorizo that they've added to it now as well. It's, it's like plant-based meaty goodness. Um, Yeah. It's very filling. It's yeah, literally the first day of level two, I think. Um, I placed an order at like midday because <laughs> I wanted to make sure I got in the queue. But there's so many places that you can get plant based food now as well. Like even, you know, Burger King, it's not a it's not a vegan option, but they've got the Rebel Whopper now that you can you can veganize. Um disclaimer, they do cook their patties on the same grill as as their meaty patties but i mean it's all over the place now isn't it yeah it means more and more people get the chance to try it and see how yeah how delicious it is so you've been vegan for about nine nine years now laura how long have you been vegan kylie must be about four or five years now what would you guys say is the best part about it i'd say just opening up your world to foods that and ingredients that you may never have tried um, and never have bothered to learn to cook with so it makes you more inventive. I would say that's that's the best thing. Definitely. And just knowing that, you know, you're making one of the, the biggest impacts on on animals' lives, um, on the environment, and being able to enjoy delicious foods at the same time. You can't go wrong. I would say to anyone thinking about giving it a go but thinking that maybe it's too hard, um, let us help you. We have so many awesome resources and they're designed for Kiwis. They're all um, things that we can buy here in New Zealand, food swaps, takeaways that we can buy here. 
um, I would recommend to anybody that's thinking about going plant-based that they sign up to Safe's Plant-Based Challenge and let us send you emails full of tips and recipes and um, meal ideas, everything you need to know, um, everything a new plant-based eater would need to know. And also check out the um, recipe section um, and the Eat Kind section of uh, the Safe website because there's so much information on there. Tell us about the guide, lore. Ah, so Safe's plant-based starter guide um, is available to either download or order a physical copy of, and it's designed for Kiwis. It's got everything you need to get started um, on a plant-based diet if you're completely new to it. And so you can order that through our website. I think it's important to note as well that, you know, I know for myself, I didn't go completely vegan off the, you know, straight away. I eased into it and... um, I didn't have or didn't know where to get all these great resources. I didn't know anyone else who was doing it. So I kind of had to do it in my own research. Whereas, um, yeah, making the most of all of the free resources we've got is such a great way to start just, yeah, including more plant-based meals. And before you know it, you'll see how easy and really delicious it is. You have been listening to Animal Matters. This podcast is brought to you by Safe for Animals, New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation and produced by myself, Will Appleby. Make sure you subscribe to stay across Animal Matters on whatever your favourite platform is. If you're using Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners to find the show. If you want to support the show, head to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash animal matters. Until next time, Ka kite anō.